everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up BFW's show where we hit on all the latest and greatest news of the week. Bayern Munich, like they always do, provided us a ton to talk about, uh, not the least of which was a huge, I mean, absolutely huge Champions League victory over FC Barcelona, and we will touch on that in a little bit. But uh, I just wanted to say before we really kick things off, it has been a quick start to this season. We are already getting ready to enter this international break, and it just seems like things are just progressing so quickly. There's been a lot that's happened with the team, a lot of ups, a lot of downs. But through it all, BFW's been here to chat about it all. So we appreciate you guys are here every week doing it with us. So let's get right down to it. The five things that we learned this week. And I think the first thing that we learned is that Bayern Munich has been a little bit of a roller coaster. And we're going to use this part of our show to talk about where we think Bayern Munich is at this stage before we head into this international break. Now, obviously, coming off of the big Champions League win over FC Barcelona, Bayern has to feel a little bit confident. This, of course, was a very much improved FC Barcelona side. And one of the primary reasons that Barca looks so good is that Robert Lewandowski is now the striker for that team. But this was a little bit different. Uh, FC Barcelona, absolutely, uh, they looked more sharp, more on point, and more dangerous. And I think that things absolutely could have went a different way. Um, Robert Lewandowski just missed putting Barca up in the first half. We had Pedri uh, not just hitting the post, but also missing a wide open Lewandowski on the same play. Uh, There were a couple of other good opportunities that Barca had. And, you know, we would all probably be feeling differently if Barca got that first goal and went on to win the match. But things did not turn out that way. Bayern Munich got the 2-0 victory. And I think a lot of people feel good about it, even though there was a lot of real bitterness heading into the match. And that bitterness stemmed from three consecutive draws in the Bundesliga. Now, there are a lot of reasons why Bayern Munich kind of finds itself in this position. Uh, Not the least of which is that Julian Nagelsmann is trying to find a way to get all of these parts to fit together. And he's trying to work on that while tinkering with different formations and then while also trying to keep the players happy and also dealing with some injuries that have occurred. He's got a lot going on, integrating new players, working them in new positions, especially when it comes to that 4 triple two. the responsibilities are a little bit different than their traditional 4-2-3-1 that we've seen rolled out a couple of times. Uh, There's a lot going on. Replacing Robert Lewandowski with one person was never going to happen for as talented as Sadio Mane is, we've started to see that he's not perfect either, right? He was not going to be that perfect replacement. Uh, it's going to be a process. And I think in the end, when we get further along in this season, I think that's going to become more and more glaring that Bayern Munich needs an absolute real striker, someone that can carry the scoring load on a consistent basis, someone that can be the focal point of the offense. But for now, they don't have that player. So Nagelsmann is doing his best to strategize ways to maximize the talent that he has. It has not worked in the Bundesliga over the last three weeks. We saw a very disappointing 
draw with Munch and Gladback, where Jan Sommer admittedly was tremendous. And and I think, you know, statistically might have put in the best performance of any goalkeeper in the in Bundesliga history. So I don't think that you can really uh, get too bitter about where Bayern Munich was with that game. I mean, of course, you want to see them be able to cl- uh, be able to clinch a victory and, and capitalize and, and really do what they're good at doing, which is putting the ball in the net, making stops and getting three points. They obviously didn't do that against Gladbach. The following week was a 1-1 draw with Union Berlin, where Union was just really tremendous at mucking the game up. And I'm not sure Bayern expected Union to play that way, but uh, whatever the case, Bayern could not find a way to eke out a victory there. And then the 2-2 draw with Stuttgart, which of course was really just a lot of bad luck. I mean, Bayern could have had four or five goals, but for Matthijs Delic to uh, take a very unfortunate uh, foul, creating a penalty in extra time, it was really careless and needless and uh, it was disappointing to see from someone like the Lick who had really played so well so far. And then to do that, it was, it was disappointing to see, but all of that led into the FC Barcelona match. And I think that that was a little bit of momentum that Byron was able to build. I think that that's going to help the confidence levels. And I think that's going to get things headed into the right direction especially for this weekend against, against FC Augsburg. Of course, I'm going to pick Bayern in this match because I think at some point they just have to get back on the winning track here in the Bundesliga. But from an overall standpoint, I think you have to to look at things from this bigger picture. Nagelsmann has had a very difficult task in integrating new players and finding the best ways to make them work, using them in different positions. And it has been difficult and it hasn't, always been seamless or smooth it has not been a soft landing for all of the new players uh but those are the facts all right this is (laughs) this is just how it is and it will get better it will take time though and you know it's not to say that this core of Bayern Munich players is going to be the type that can win the Champions League uh they could but they also might not I mean this is a good group it definitely has potential, but there are some red flags. Uh, th- there is a little bit of unhappiness, which we'll touch on later in this program, with some of the players over their roles, over their playing time. Some players are reportedly not happy with Nagelsmann's tactics. Uh, so you have a little bit of that going on, and it's nothing to to worry about too much at this point, but you have some of that. You have players that are clearly in their own minds starting 11 players who are going to end up not being that. I mean, when you look at Serge Gnabry, you start to wonder where he's going to fit if Thomas Muller and Sadio Mane are going to be part of Nagelsmann Champagne 11. And that's an interesting little segue in and of itself because of late, Mane has struggled. Of late, Muller has struggled. And for all of the great things that Thomas Muller does, and he does do a ton of intangible things. Uh, you know, you can talk about his vision, his leadership, how he leads the press, how important he is. And there's no arguing any of that. But what I've wanted to see from Thomas Muller now 
for weeks is production. And I think he has to. I think when Robert Lewandowski left, some of the pressure for who's going to take on some of that scoring loss was automatically going to go to Thomas Muller, and he has not done it yet. I think Muller is still a great player. I do think he is far too unselfish. Uh, Even in the Barcelona match, he chipped a pass in. It was in the first half. Chipped a pass, tried to attempted to chip a pass in the box rather than just take the shot. And it was one of those instances where I, I'm sitting watching the game and I'm just yelling shoot because at some point he has to trust his talent. And, and, and I can't figure out why things are not breaking for him when it comes to scoring. I don't know if it's a confidence thing. I don't know if it's just trying to find his way in the different roles that he's been given by Nagelsmann, but he needs to produce. Just like Julian Nagelsmann said that Kingsley Coman needs to produce, Thomas Muller needs to produce as well. And if Sadio Mane can't get his act together and start to produce consistently, there'll be no reason to make him an automatic starter either. Uh, There's just too much talent. Jamal Musiala, while he hasn't been perfect, has been damn good and has arguably been the best offensive player. Leroy Sané has seemingly shaken off those cobwebs, that funk that he was in from a about midway through the second half of last season, through the summer, and into the early part of this season. He's out of that now, and he looks tremendous. Uh, There are too many good players for Nagelsmann to just anoint anybody a starter. And And if anyone's looking for the upside of having such a deep, talented team, it's that you don't have to wait for anyone to break out of their slump. And it's a good thing for those players looking for an opportunity, but it's a bad thing for those players that need field time to get their confidence back in order. So how Nagelsmann handles all of this, I'm going to be absolutely intrigued to see because there are a lot of things going on. But where I am with this team right now is I'm okay with everything. I'm okay with their record. I'm okay with how things are progressing. I'm okay with the job that Nagelsmann is doing. Nothing, and I mean absolutely nothing, has been perfect. But we have seen some good performances on the whole. We've seen the team battle through having some key players miss games due to injuries. Things are steadily moving upwards. But you have to remember that throughout this season, there are going to be some painful moments. There are going to be some untimely losses, some some bad draws. Those things are going to happen. But in the end, right now, Bayern Munich has not lost a game yet. So I'm okay with where we're at with everything. It's not perfect. It has to get a little bit better here, but it will. And as this season goes and we go through the ups and downs, we'll all be here bitching and complaining one day and celebrating the next. But that's how this goes. It's not going to be an easy season. But what I think everyone needs to kind of bank on is that Nagelsmann is going to find a way to get this team to come together when it matters most. And that's in the second half of the Rook Ronda. Because if he can do that, if he can get everything building up to that point and get the team to peak around that time, then it will be a successful season that everyone wants to have. But it's going to be difficult. And I think that's the other key theme here is things are getting better, but it's not going to be an easy ride for anyone. The second thing we learned this week is that Germany had its latest round of call-ups. And I will tell you, I was a little bit shocked at some of the call-ups themselves. Uh, 
it's it was very interesting to say the least. And I think it spurred something in me to where I think we're going to try something out on the site and I have to talk to some of the writers about it, but I'd like to have everyone pick <laughs> who they would have uh, as their team gets called up. And I believe it's a, uh, that Germany or Hansi Flick can call up as many as 26 players for the world cup. But just for this round, let's, let's talk about, who got called up for the UEFA Nations League matches versus Hungary and England? Uh, for for the goalkeepers, we have Manuel Neuer, Mark Andre Ter Stegen, Kevin Trapp. No surprises there. Uh, Trapp has really jumped over Bern Leno as the third keeper for Germany. Uh, Leno, of course, had that tough spell where he was replaced at Arsenal and then was having trouble finding a new home. Eventually, ended up at Fulham, I believe, but. It's uh, it's going to be a while before he can get his uh, game in order enough to get that third spot back. You know, perhaps, although it's doubtful, Flick would consider taking four keepers to the World Cup. I doubt it, though. I, I think that he pretty much at this point is set on Neuer, Terstegen, and Trapp. Defensively, uh, we saw a lot of regulars get called back. Tyus Ginter, Robin Gozens, of course, is making his return. Tilo Kerr, who continues to puzzle me at how he keeps getting call-ups. David Rahm, who has really, I think, been one of the bright young stars of this defense. Antonio Rudiger, who is still trying to establish himself at Real Madrid, but for this team is a, a good starting option. Nico Schlotterbeck, who has had a pretty good season, all things considered, at Borussia Dortmund, I know, He's being kind of put at blame for that tremendous goal by Erling Holland in the Champions League match between Manchester City and Dortmund, but no one's stopping that. I mean, Holland's a freak. He's a monster. He got up high. He got his leg up higher than most people stand. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think you can blame Schlatter back for that. That's that's nonsense. And Nicholas Sula, who, the for, of course, the former Bayern player who has been much maligned about his weight, about his fitness, but always seems to be able to pull it together and play solidly. So the only other player that was called up at this point was Armel Belichotchep, who was a surprise. And I don't I don't anticipate he's going to be a player that makes the World Cup roster. I think Flick wanted to take an extended look at him right now. But I do think at some point Flick is going to consider uh, Matt Hummels. I think even though Lucas Klosterman is, has been injured uh, and – that's the reason he did not get called up. I think that Klosterman is an option. Marcel Haustenberg could be an option. I think Flick's going to look for some versatility. I think, though, for this call-up, he wanted to take a younger player just to get an extended set of eyes on him just to see where his game is at. In the midfield and the attack, this was a little interesting. Julian Brandt was called up. It seems like he's starting to revive himself and get back into the good graces of the national teams, Serge Gnabry, Leon Goretzka, Ilkay Gundogan, Kai Havertz, Jonas Hoffman, Joshua Kimmich, Thomas Muller, Jamal Musiala, Lucas Nemecha, Marco Royce, Leroy Sané, and Timo Werner. Of course, Kareem Adeyemi is absent from that. He's been banged up. Uh, I wouldn't say anyone is, is really surprised there. I think when you look at Jonas Hoffman, he's a player who Flick loves because he can literally play him at right back in the central midfield and at wing. So there are a lot of options for what Flick can do with a player like Hoffman. And I think that's going to be one of Hoffman's saving graces. He might even get some 
some minutes or a chance to start it right back, depending on what formation that Flick uses during this international break. But for this break, I'm not expecting a whole lot. I think you're going to obviously have a <clears throat> strong match against Hungary. Hungary is not a pushover by any means, but they are a team that Bayern should, oh, Bayern, Germany should be able to, to beat uh, pretty handily. I think if if Germany is ready to play, it shouldn't be uh, all that tight of a match. But England, though, is going to be a big challenge. Flick's boys are going to have their work cut out for them with that one. Again, England is beatable, but what Germany team shows up? Is it going to be the relentless, fast-paced squad that's looking to apply pressure at all times? Or is it going to be the one that's a bit passive and takes a little while to get going? Uh, I do think Flick during this break is going to be looking at a couple of players pretty closely. Guzzins among them because he's, you know, coming off of an injury. And there are going to be players in the defense that that Flick could use. Uh, another interesting couple of names that might be something to keep an eye on. Uh, of course, Mario Götze, the 2014 World Cup hero is having a decent season with Eintracht Frankfurt. He is continuing to push his way into consideration. And Flick has recently said that neither Gutza or Hummels have been ruled out of the squad by any means. But if you're looking for players to to top off your roster that have experience, that are good team guys, you would be very hard-pressed to find anyone better than Hummels and Gutza from this player pool. So I would keep an eye on those two. Julian Feigl's return to Germany can only help his case. Weigel, of course, is now with Gladbach. And if he can accumulate some good minutes and put in good showings, he could push his way into the mix. And as could Julian Draxler, who's, again, his best asset is his versatility in that he can play either wing position. He can play in the central midfield and play as an attacking midfielder. It's the kind of player that Flick likes to have on the roster. I know he is a much maligned figure in German football, especially by Bayern fans, especially on our site, really. He does not have many supporters at at BFW. But Draxler did make the move from PSG to Benfica. So he is uh, looking at a spot where he might be able to get himself into consideration if he can go and he can have – a a good rest of uh, the first half of the season here leading into the World Cup. He could potentially force his way into the mix. But I think for the most part, what we see is what we're going to get with this. Uh, I believe it's 24 players that Flick had caught up right now. And like I said, I believe he can go up to 26 for the World Cup. And if that's so, if my numbers are all adding up correctly there, I think we could have some interesting selections. I'm not fully convinced we're going to see a player, say like Lucas Nemecha, included in the roster, though as a number nine, he could be. I just don't think he's going to jump over many of the attackers that are currently there. So then it will come down to what kind of player does Flick want? Does he want a youngster who might be able to provide a jolt of energy or does he want uh, a more experienced veteran player who's been there, done that, and who could come in and make an impact in that way. So there will be some very interesting selections. I, I don't doubt that Hansi Flick is going to spend a lot of time thinking about it, but I think he's got some good options. And I think Germany above all is headed in the right direction. And of course, if I brought up Timo Werner for any extended period, I'd be getting trashed, but the Timo Werner has scored 10 goals in 12 games under Hansi Flick, which 
okay, I know a lot of people are like, well, he still sucks. But I, to me, that, that's the production you want. I mean, I, I'd feel more comfortable if he had 12 or more goals in that time frame. But he has 10, and I think he's got two assists as well. So he's a goal contribution per game player under Flick, which I think for Flick, uh, the primary thing he'll want to see out of Timo Werner and probably also out of Kai Havertz as well is that they're more efficient with their chances. I think that Germany has gotten a lot better at creating chances, and now it's going to be a matter of can players like Werner or Havertz, or Sané or Gnabry or Musiala or Thomas Muller, did I say Thomas Muller? Either way, all those players, can they finish uh, and, and, and be efficient with the opportunities they have? And if they can, this is going to be a damn good Germany team. So I'm going to enjoy watching these international matches in UEFA Nations League, but I'll be silently watching and observing and seeing how these players are coming together and who might be in and who could be out for the World Cup roster as we watch the games this week. The third thing I learned this week is that signing contract extensions with Benjamin Pavar and Alexander Nubel is not going to be easy. Now, let's get the first one out of the way, and we'll start with Nubel because Nubel has made it extremely clear. In fact, he is now quoted as saying, and he does not want any part of coming back to Bayern Munich if Manuel Neuer is still there. I don't think it's some type of blood feud <laughs> by any means, but I do think that Nubel knows that if Neuer's still there, that Nubel has no chance of playing. And as a young player, I get it. I totally understand what his point of view is here. And my only question to him was, what the hell did he think was going to happen when he signed that contract with Bayern Munich? Now, granted, I know that Neuer at that point was coming off some foot injuries. There was at least a little bit of doubt by some people that Neuer still had it. But if you watch Neuer play, since that point, he's been pretty damn good. And, you know, even in this per- latest performance against FC Barcelona, I thought he was outstanding. Neuer isn't going anywhere until he wants to go. He has shown really no signs of slowing down. And even though he did have those foot issues a couple of years back, he's gotten past that. He looks great. So for Alexander Nubel, it just makes sense. Now, we, we've we heard that Monaco would be looking to extend Nubel stay there and maybe take him on a full-time basis. And while Nubel isn't ruling that out, Nubel is also saying he's going to keep his options open. So I think what Alexander Nubel knows now is that he is a top flight goalkeeper. He has proven it uh, for a good club like Monaco. He's showing that he's not just a physical goalkeeper who can rely on his physical tools. He's got a lot of the intangibles the instincts, he's got the technical skill. And I think he's showing it and he's displaying to other teams that he is ready to be the number one at a big club. And I, I do think he's going to get some interest. So we'll see what Bayern Munich does with that as we hit the summer of 2023, because I think he's going to have some suitors. And I think some people are going to want to pay decent money for him. As for Benjamin Pavar, this is really interesting because Pavar has been I think he's been lights out great at right back this season. Uh, We all know that he wants to play center back though. So I understand that he wants to make the move. He wants to take on a bigger role with the team and and play center back. And he's got this ambition and he's had that ambition. And I think when he signed his initial deal at Bayern Munich, I think he envisioned himself as a center back. It hasn't worked out that way because over the course of his tenure, not only has Pavar been a good right back, which I know some people will argue with me about that and say he sucks or he hasn't been that good or he's average or whatever. 
I think he's been good. I think he's been great this season. As I've always said about Pavar, his biggest enemy is himself because he comes back too early. He's from his injuries. He's never healed completely. And he looks off when he comes back and he's not himself. And we don't see that player who is capable of making making an impact both defensively and offensively. So when we see him and we we look at his overall game, I don't know. When I see it, I, I look at a player who's a good, versatile option that you would want to have on your roster, that any coach would want to have. And I think Hansi Flick felt that way. I think Julian Nagelsmann has felt that, feels that way now. I think everybody likes Pavar. I think Brazo would love to have Pavar stay and be that versatile player as one being a starter at right back, but then also being able to slide in to play center back. Maybe even like situations like this weekend when you lose Luca Hernandez and Diopa Makano is banged up. You, you, we could see Delict and Pavar as the center backs, which would be great. That's why you have a player like Pavar on your roster. But Pavar also is a player who knows his value is rising as he puts in good performances. We already know that Manchester United and Chelsea both wanted Benjamin Pavar this summer. And I think that as Pavar, when he does come back or when he, I'm sorry, not when he comes back, when he is able to put forth a full season of good tape and he's able to prove himself that he won, not only can play right back, but if he gets the opportunity this weekend, show that he can play center back at the top tier level as well. He's really going to become an attractive defender on the market next summer. I do think Bayern Munich's going to have a hard time resigning him. Although I don't think Pavar is ruling it out. I think he's just doing the math. He looks at the center back position and he sees Luca Hernandez. He sees Matthias Delict and he sees Dio Upamakano. And barring Julian Nagelsmann switching it up again and playing a back three, right now Pavar would be a little bit of an overflow if he just played center back. So getting those two players to sign contracts will not be easy, but Brazo has worked some miracles. Uh, I would say Pavar is more likely to resign than uh, Alexander Nubel, but uh, both are going to be very difficult to deal with uh, probably next summer. Fourth thing that we learned this week is that, wow, Bayern Munich really might have something in Paul Vonner and Arjen Ibrahimovic. So getting a chance to at least watch some highlights. Every time you see Paul Vonner, you see... There are a couple of things that that for like just leap off the screen when I see him. One, he's fearless. He absolutely will attack and take on anyone. And it's it's kind of funny because he, the club is rumored to to really view him as an eight, but he's got a, a tens mentality for sure. He's he's got a good shot. He finds himself in good positions. To me, he is electric. And and I was maybe doubting a little bit what people were seeing in him because. You know, he hasn't been able to really break through and show that he's, you know, deserving of a spot on on the match day roster every week. And that, you know, you have a player like Matisse Tell who is just about the same age who is 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 on, you know, every match day roster who's getting playing time. So when I look at Vonner, even though they're not exactly the same age, I kind of view them in the same realm. Um I look at him and I'm like, I, I was wondering, like, why can't this guy, if he's supposed to be so good, show what he can do and and force his way in? But now I, I kind of get it that Bayern Munich is taking this this tact with him where they're going to have him training with the first team. They're going to be using him playing with Bayern Munich 2 or 
the U19s, wherever he best fits that weekend because he just needs that those minutes. He needs the game time. While he's getting that top-tier training environment day-to-day with the first team, he needs the game minutes as well. And I think that this plan is working out really well. I think that Vonner, every time I see him, I come away impressed. And I probably need to invest more time into watching the complete games. But work, BFW, kids, wife, they all get in the way of that. So I do my best and I watch his highlights. And I'm just blown away every time. As for Ibrahimovic... He's even younger than Bonner, I believe. And I, I think that, again, nose for the goal, fearless demeanor. These are the kind of players that you want to see Bayern build around. And when you think about it, you already have Jamal Musiala, who is very similar in that he's fearless. He will take on anyone. He's got just an, a relentless attacking style. I think all three of those players are very similar. The problem is where do you play them all? There, I think all with all three of them, their best position is as a 10. Uh, at least with Musiala, you could play him at wing as well. I don't know what you could do with the others. I guess Ibrahimovic has been known to play some left wing, and we've seen that Vonner, Byron has toyed with Vonner playing as an outside attacker as well. But man, Byron has some great young talent. And I think that if they can continue to cultivate that talent and develop it, this is going to be a very exciting future coming up. And to see that they might have some homegrown players, well, relatively homegrown players, if you know what I mean, uh, they could that are that have the capability of coming up and making it. I think it's going to just add a little more intrigue, a little more excitement. And it's going to feel like the club is investing in itself and it's starting to to really just be able to get back to developing players rather than just buying them. And listen, there's nothing wrong with buying a big transfer player, Robert Lewandowski, Matthijs Delict. I mean, how many Frank Ribery, Arjen Robin, you could go down the list of great transfers that Byron has had, but to develop a player from your youth Academy, bring them through and watch them prosper. That's a special thing. And that's, I think why I'm most intrigued because I'm really looking forward to seeing if those two players, especially can make it. I mean, those aren't the only two great players. I think that Byron has, that has been developing. Of course, we know that Gabriel Vitovich is, is on loan now at the test, which hasn't been producing like you would hope he would, but he's really just getting his feet wet. So uh, we'll be tracking his development, but there are a lot of good young players on campus. Byron is doing something right, I think, after they had really scuffled there for a little while with their development. Things are looking great. Vonner and Ibrahimovic are just two really, really exciting prospects. I don't know really when we would see them with the first team. It's tough to envision because there's so much damn talent on the first team roster and you know, it, it most so much of it is in the attacking realm. I don't know when we'll get to see Vonner and Ibrahimovic break through on a consistent basis, but I'm really liking what I'm seeing. Uh, I just like how fearless they are. That's the biggest thing. And it, to me, the fact that Byron is is being able to develop kids with that mentality, that is exactly what you need. So I, I'm coming away more and more impressed by those two players in particular, uh, when I get to see their highlights, or even if I get to see the games when they're broadcast on YouTube. The fifth and final thing that I learned this week, and we've touched on this a little bit here and there, is that, yeah, some players at Bayern Munich are probably unhappy, but it's okay. It is. 
So we had Leon Goretzka and Ryan Gravenberg be named as two players that were not really happy about their playing time, about their roles. Goretzka essentially had his starting role usurped by Marcel Sabitzer, which after the FC Barcelona match, it'll be very interesting to see what Nagelsmann does with that. But Gravenberg was reportedly upset saying that he thought he would play more than he has been. But kid, I don't know what the hell you were looking at. You just had to look at the roster and see that Yashua Kimmich and Leon Goretzka and Marcel Sabitzer were all on the roster when you signed. So I don't know where you thought the PT was coming from. But regardless, I'm not worried about the players being unhappy because I fully expect them to be unhappy. The only thing in this scenario that worries me is how Nagelsmann handles it. Because he's been a bit aloof in addressing the players. And we wrote about that last week on, on BFW where Nagelsmann doesn't feel that it's necessary to really discuss his decisions with players or discuss why he's leaving someone out of a lineup. And with today's modern player, the mentalities that they, that they have and how they've been brought up and developed in the game, every player that's on the Bayern Munich roster thinks they are the best player on the roster. They think they have been the best player step-by-step step as they've made their development. That's how they've been brought along. That's how they've made it. They have uber confidence. They have more confidence than any of us. They have way more confidence than like Tom Adams after 12 beers at 2 a.m. in some Connecticut dive bar, okay? They have just big egos, big confidence, and big talent. So they all feel like they should be playing. And it's going to be a constant bitch session going to Nagelsmann and, and, and asking why they're not playing more, or why they didn't get a start, or why they didn't get more minutes, why they got subbed out. It's going to be nonstop. <laughs> Whether it's Sadio Mane, Leroy Sané, Kingsley Coman, Serge Gnabry, Gravenberg, Goretzka, it could be Upamakano, Delicts, they're all going to be complaining. It's going to happen all year. But Nagelsmann has to figure out a way to mitigate this. He has to figure out a rotation that keeps the players happy. He's going to have to figure out a rotation that not only keeps them happy, but that is effective on the pitch. And I think that is definitely one of the reasons that we've seen such up and down performances because we have not seen this team get in sync yet. They have not all gotten on the same page. There are no interchangeable parts at this point. Like I, I personally hope there would be. And when you look at interchangeable parts, you don't have to look any further than looking at the treble winning team of 2019-2020. After Hansi Flick took over, he essentially made everybody interchangeable. That no matter who he brought on and, and how it, he put the team out there and put them together, they were functional. And they knew what each other was going to do. And they understood each other's games. And by the end of the season, how great did that look? Benjamin Pavard went out. Nicholas Sula tore his ACL. Everybody stepped up. David Alaba dropped to center back. Yashua Kimmich dropped to right back. Leon Goretzka took Kimmich's role next to Thiago. Ivan Perisic came in, and whenever one of the wingers was injured or whenever they were hurt, Perisic was able to come in and seamlessly do a terrific job. Philippe Coutinho, for as much as he was not a good starter for Bayern, was a terrific sub. Everything worked. Everything came together. Part of that was how Flick managed the team. Part of it was that the players bought into what he was selling. Nagelsmann needs to find a way to get through the players to make that happen. And that's why when I talked about where Byron is at this stage of the season, I'm okay with it, but I need to, I do need to see that progression. And part of that is going to be how Nagelsmann gets them from this current state to the point where they are all interchangeable, where they can all work together. 
where he can use any different number of players in any different number of formations and it will work. Right now, I'm not seeing that he's been able to do that. Am I worried about it? Not really, because this is a long season and there are a lot of new players that he's working with. But he's got to find a way to get through. He's got to find a way to keep them at least content. They don't all have to be LOLs. I said this earlier this week on the site. It doesn't have to be everyone's best friends. They're not going to always be laughing at each other's jokes. But they have to be able to function together on the pitch. Can he get this group, this big roster, this talented roster, all of these big egos, can he get them together for the second half of the Rook Ronda when they're making their run? Can he do it? I'm hoping he can. There are a lot of doubters out there that don't think that that's going to happen. But right now I'm going to say that he's going to take steps to get there. And I'm ultimately going to judge Nagelsmann at the end of this season on how he gets this team to evolve into that state. If he cannot get that to happen, I am going to start to have doubts that he's going to be able to get it done next season. Because I I do feel like with Nagelsmann, he is very innovative. I think he can relate to a lot of players, but I do think he he probably needs to fine-tune his player management in terms of how he works with them with their career development and how he communicates with them and how he's using them from game to game and when he's going to use them. I think he needs to get better at that. And I hope he does. And I think he's got the kind of mindset that would allow him to evolve as a coach, just as the team evolves. But it's really, to me, the biggest story that we're going to keep an eye on moving forward is how Nagelsmann manages the situation. So no, it's not really a big deal that players are unhappy. They they will be bitching and complaining all season. We can guarantee you that. That that is a hundred percent. There will always be a handful of guys unhappy in that locker room because, like I said, they all feel like they should be on the pitch all the time. So no big deal. I'm sure we'll see more stories about it, even if they are occasionally denied, like Leon Goretzka did earlier this week. But Nagelsmann's going to have to do his best to mitigate what goes on and he's going to have to solve. He's going to have to, he's going to have to provide some solutions about how to move forward and how to get where, get this team where it needs to be, which is steamrolling to the champions league final in the second half of the season. That'll do it for the Bayern Munich portion and Germany portion of this. I do want to touch on house of the dragon really quickly because I got suckered in. I didn't really want to watch the show. And I got suckered in because everybody started to watch it. And I was like, well, damn it. Now I have to watch it. And I was a Game of Thrones fan. So until like it went off the rails, you know, that's, I've talked about it many times. It still pisses me off. Anyway, I started House of the Dragon and I've been watching steadily every week. It just got icky this week. We had the whole Targaryen. Uh, pseudo foe incest storyline and uh Damon wants to take Rhaenyra's or Rhaenyra, I'm sorry as his wife now and then he pretty much Damon gets exiled by Viserys it, it, the whole thing it, I, I, even in the end the, the end solution is that uh, Rhaenyra is going to marry Viserys's cousin's kid, which is still incest to me. I, I the whole storyline is throwing me off. I can't take it. I don't know why I'm having so much trouble processing this. I know it's fantasy. I know it's fake. It's just still weird to me. The whole pleasure house scene was just 
uh it, it was i don't know dude it just was weird and like listen i'm not approved when it comes to that stuff like i typically like that kind of thing doesn't bother me but the fact that they're supposed to be family members i don't know why that's so weird to me like it just was really and why i'm saying it's not why it's so weird to me because it's on like it's fake right like i should be able to process that it's fake but even the storyline still is weird and then it just came full circle at the end with having to marry marry someone who was i guess your second cousin third cousin i don't know still weird to me i I don't get it but anyway the storyline continues to progress a little slowly but then have these like really quick turnarounds like we went from Viserys and Damon reconciling and becoming best friends again, brothers, to Damon trying to seduce his niece, and the whole thing. It went then going on a bender and then getting exiled. The whole thing was crazy. I think the writing has been really, really choppy. I don't think it's. I don't think the characters are being developed properly. I think there are too many time hops. It's the same thing I've had a problem with every week. It's just gone to me. It's going off the rails a little more slowly than I initially thought it would. It's still kind of intriguing with the way the storyline's going, especially how with how we know where the story ends up. Um, but I do have to admit, I, I am having my doubts now. I'm having a lot of doubts about why I'm investing my time in this, but I'm going to stick with it because I'm an idiot. And whenever I start watching something, I tend to stick with it. I think the only things that I've really bailed on after like X amount of episodes were like the walking dead spinoffs because they're just terrible. Um, And they were terrible and they still are terrible. Even the walking dead itself went terrible pretty much. I don't know, four or five years ago, but I still watch that because I just want to finish it. I'm just going to finish the job on that, but I did quit on the spinoffs. Either way, I'm going to stick with House of the Dragon through at least the season. <sighs> I fell behind and did not get a chance to start Cobra Kai, so I will do that. I will hop on that, and I will talk about that next week. But just wanted to give you my thoughts on House of the Dragon. It's, to me, starting to come off the rails, and uh, I'm a little bit worried about my time investment with it. Anyway... Thanks again for listening to the show. Uh, I really do appreciate it. Try and have a little bit of fun on this podcast. I know that every show that we put out, the hosts are doing a really good job of not just giving you the Bayern news and discussing it, but also making it very entertaining. I try and take a little bit different tact with some different subjects here, but uh, I do appreciate that you guys tune in, you listen, and you give some good feedback. As always, you can get me at the Barrel Blog on Twitter. You can get the site at Bavarian FB Works. You can get Tommy Adams at Tommy Adams 71. And yes, maybe he will be on a bar stool at some dive bar in Connecticut at 2 a.m. and feeling pretty confident, ladies. So maybe you should try and hit him up there. You can get I Need No Name at BFWINNN. And you can get all of our wonderful podcasters and writers on the site. Not all of them have Twitter. Not all of them have shared their Twitter handle with me if they have it. So uh, again, thank you for listening. You're always appreciated. Have a great weekend. Uh, Hopefully we get to see a Byron win before they close out this portion of the season and head to an international break. I think they need three points to feel good about themselves and to remember what winning in the Bundesliga feels like. So let's get those three points. Let's have some beers. And you can also have a great weekend. We'll see you next time.